Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hello, Matt. How's it going, man? I'm I'm starting to feel a little healthier with my new diet. I know, man. You are looking lean and mean. I know. Yeah, we've got someone here with us today that actually started with some of that stuff and grew a much bigger company. Maybe he can teach us how to be even healthier. I hope so. Um, let me introduce Ryan Beckland, the former CEO and co-founder of Validic. Hi, Ryan. Hey. Hi. Well, Thanks for having me. We're glad you could come by today. You've got an interesting story and we're looking forward to... And he has some Kansas roots. We like that. Yeah. But, you know, you're usually when I hear that someone had once lived in Lawrence, I'm rooting for Jayhawks, but he's apparently not a Jayhawk. You're not a Jayhawk? No, I went to Iowa. Well, what the hell were you doing in Lawrence? Oh, it's a long story. It must involve a girl. (laughs) (laughs) It might. It might. It does? (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow, there you go. Well, Ryan, uh, we were uh, chatting a little bit before, you know, uh, Ryan came. This is the way it works at our office. If you come by for a general meeting, sometimes you get thrown in front of a microphone and we twist your arm and make you tell your story for all of the public to hear. But Ryan, it sounds like you have a pretty interesting story. Uh, How did you start Validic? Well, so Validic started as a company, a a completely different concept called Scale Down Challenge, which was a community-based weight loss challenge with a cash prize. And um, that little company was okay or whatever. I, you know, we had pretty moderate goals at that time. Um, And uh, what ended up happening is that we, we, I started the business in Lawrence and it was primarily based in Lawrence, Kansas. And um, at, over time, we had a lot of our participants in the weight loss challenge ask us to build them or uh, do a, a weight loss challenge specifically for like their company or their little church group or whatever, um, which we couldn't do because our business model didn't work that way. So we need to do a weight loss challenge for full scale, dude, like me dude, versus you. Dude, just because you're on some fancy diet right now. It's not fancy. I think we should do a weight gain challenge. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just keep giving you more gummy bears. That's easier. The weight gain challenge is easier. I agree. I've been winning that one for years. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I mean, mean, he needs to lose a lot of weight. We should do the weight challenge. So we'll... This, this is a great product. I like Well, this. that's why people liked it. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. it, but that's actually not what you ended up doing. That, no, that. not at all. So so we um, what we did is I, I went to a buddy of mine from college, uh, Drew Schiller, who's Politics CEO and my co-founder. And um, <clears throat> and we uh, I asked him to build some software to help organize these smaller events uh, for smaller groups. And then we started licensing the software out. Um, and we went kind of like we targeted towards corporate wellness. So, um, we'd go to kind of like mid-market companies, thousand plus employees that were self-insured and try to sell them on using our software for weight loss challenges. And these companies Um, were wanting to do that because that provided some health benefits and possibly made some of those insurance costs a little less expensive, right? Yeah, so so that was the idea, right? That's the idea of corporate wellness in right. general, right? Is trying to uh, better manage employee health to their thereby 
better managed employee. If you're self-insured, there's a self-benefit. Exactly. Exactly. My first book, Balance Me, was related to um, finding balance within your personal, professional, and physical life. And that was one of the proposed Mm -hmm. marketing strategies Mm -hmm. with it because, you know, we have an app that's free that kind of lets you adjust your life balance and you know, it's that, I had a friend that was strongly suggesting that we approach insurance companies with it because they actually offer lower rates mm-hmm. to companies mm-hmm. that provide these kind yeah. of wellness stuff. Of course, yeah. we didn't do anything with that. Yeah. Sounds like you, you did a little better with it than I did. Well, the, it did okay. Yeah, the, the company wasn't growing really fast. Um, and we thought what the problem was, was really a, a product-related pro- problem. Um, so... Uh, we spent a bunch of time, Drew and I spent a bunch of time just talking to corporate wellness coordinators and figuring out kind of where the gaps were and what they were doing and what their what their day-to-day work life was like. Um, and from that, we created a product that was much larger than the original weight loss challenge. And one component of that, and this was a platform that did like kind of like uh, incentivize behavior change across a bunch of different health metrics rather than just weight. Uh, so it's a much bigger concept. Such as? Um, so uh, th- the basic idea of the concept was that it would consume data from um, an individual's uh, personal life. So the way that we got data in was by connecting devices. They were primarily at that time like activity trackers. Um but based so on like the activity, the, like metrics. the original like bands that you wore on your wrist, yeah, exactly. they just tracked yeah. how many steps you took. Like yeah, yeah. Fitbit stuff, stuff yeah. like that. And <laughs> so this was back in like 2012 when Fitbit was had become a big company, but before they had IPO'd, um, and then there were like 10,000 competitors jumping in to the market. Right, there was everyone was making an activity tracking band and. The wellness coordinators are like, we see the value of this data, but um, um, uh, but we don't know how to get it, right? Right, sure. And so we came along with a product that had those data sources all integrated. Um, and, and they would hear our pitch, and then they'd say, wait, so you can give us the data from all these connected devices. And we were like... But if I'm an employee yeah. at one of these companies, I had to opt into that somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what was the motivation for the employee to share that with their employer? Like, Yeah, they do, they do different. There's different types of incentive models around that. So sometimes it depends on the company. Generally speaking, they're like reductions in um, healthcare costs, like out-of-pocket mm-hmm. costs. Because um, I, so like, I might pay you a little more if I could get that data. Matt, well, I mean, first off, you don't pay me shit. So, <laughs> you know, if I can get paid anything, I'll give you whatever data you want. I'll give you I more gummy bears if I know how many I, gummy bears you're eating. Okay, that's more valuable than the crypto account that I peeked <laughs> into this morning. So, um, but no, to Ryan's point, you know, when I looked into this, so when you when your employees are active, healthy, and they have a somewhat like balanced life, they're more productive. Right. Yep. They call in sick less. Yep. And honestly, they're just like generally better people. Well, it's like yeah. we provide. Is that, is that what yeah. they were looking at? I mean, yeah. is that the was that the concept? Uh, that that's the concept of of corporate wellness in general. And yeah. they and they have less health problems now. When you say like these thousand people companies, and I think a lot of people don't know this, is companies that big don't oftentimes just get Blue Cross Blue Shield. They actually have their own financial pool that draws mm-hmm. off of that because it's a lot cheaper. Am I correct? 
Yeah, they usually have um, an, an, an administrator that does all the like billing and coding and working with the doctors and setting up the network and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm saying they don't generally like, well, they may have an affiliation with Blue Cross Blue Shield, but they don't. Exactly. Like I pay X amount through, you know, United Healthcare or whatever. And that's cost prohibitive mm -hmm. if you have 52,000 employees. So yep. that same money, they'll just put the money into It's almost like their own insurance fund. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's their yeah. money that's behind. Yeah. Those. So they have a They have a, a very much of a vested interest in seeing that go out less exactly. and then also on a, just a more human level, it's yeah. probably not the worst idea to have healthy, productive employees. Unlike, yeah. unlike here. Yeah. Cause I'm pissed off all the time and I'm fat. So, so gummy bears are bad for you? No. The gummy they don't bear, help you get more done? Gummy bears actually have every single food group. Wait, are you, are you eating these gummy bears that have like THC in them? No, no. Only, well, one, only when I'm in Colorado, okay. seeing my boys and I'm from Spaghetti. <laughs> that's it. But so tell us, tell us more about wh where did the it, like most stories and most businesses, the company pivoted all along mm -hmm. the way, right from the original idea. So what ended up being the final product, the final yeah, idea? Yeah. So so what ended up happening is when we take this larger product with all the data source integrations to the wellness pro programs, they'd say like we'd give them this whole pitch of this huge product and they'd say, um, we only want you to give us just the data from the, <laughs> from the data sources you integrated. We're like, really? That's all? Like, how much would you give us for that? You know, we didn't know. Um, and um, it was like, I, I distinctly remember, we're actually out in Silicon Valley and we're doing um, maybe three or four pitches and right in a row that we had set up. And uh, it was like, maybe three companies in a row we talked to that were saying, just give us the data. Like we don't want anything else. Um, they just wanted you to aggregate all the data from the fitness trackers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They just wanted data, raw data. That's it. And so we said, yeah, you know, we'll sell you that if that's what you want to buy, you know? And Isn't it amazing how you can figure out what your product needs to do in a pitch meeting? <laughs> like yeah. you can walk in and go, man, I don't even know what I'm selling. And then an hour later or even a couple meetings later, you're like, we sell data. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, well, I, that's kind of like the, the thing that I think you guys are overcomplicating it. Yeah. Right? I think, I think so many entrepreneurs that I talk to that are just starting out, think that it's about the idea um, and it's not actually, it's actually about the problem. And yeah. the only way to understand a problem is to go talk to customers. It's the only way to do it. Um, and so th that was my experience with that. Now I've taken and implemented that several times in Validic and, you know, later companies that, uh, every time I work with the company, I'm like, you know, a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs are actually pretty resistant to the idea of just even, they're like, I want to go sell this. And I'm like, but what problem does it solve? Right. <laughs> it's like, what, who's your customer? What problem does it solve for them? And it's always hand wavy, you know, like, Oh, I think that it's going to do this and that and that for the customer. And I want to go, did they tell you that? Did they tell you that was their problem and that they'll pay you to solve it for them? Right. Like that's what it comes down. Like that's what ultimately matters. Yeah. Over the last 10 years, I've actually been approached with a lot of people that had great ideas that were worth exactly nothing. Yeah. Just because it was like a great idea, but how the hell are we going to sell this? There's no, right. there's no way to monetize it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the, and the path to revenue on those ideas was like 
treacherously long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. So let's back up. So you're in Silicon Valley. You're given some pitches. It sounds like the end of, by the end of the third one, you've now figured out what your company needs to do. Yeah, we're, we're, we're driving in the car and I just looked at you <laughs> and I was like, so do you want to say it or should I? And he was like, I think we should pivot to just selling data. <laughs> I was like, me too. <laughs> you know? Um, and that's how so it I happens, called all people. of our investors, right? Because yeah. by this time we had raised a little bit of money. I think we're in the middle of raising maybe like $300,000 seed round or 400000 something like that. And, and we, um, we don't ask questions about revenue, but at this point, were you still pre-revenue or really close to well, it? Uh, yeah, really close to okay. it. But what we did do is we were able to, um, just the timing of it worked out where we had this marketing piece going out um, to market that larger corporate wellness product. We had already paid for it. And uh, Drew suggested that he was like, well, why don't we just try to market this new thing? It didn't even have a name, like just the data source thing. Um, and that's what we did. And we ended up getting uh, maybe like, I think we got 19 leads for that. And we ended up getting a lot better at marketing. But this first one, you know, we, we got about 19 leads in. We closed like 13 of those deals and they closed fast, like within 30 days. It turned out that a bunch of big, big healthcare companies were already starting to invest in building data source integrations like that uh, into their products. And these are highly varied. You know, they were coming from pharma, they were coming from provider side care, so hospital systems, they're coming from corporate wellness, they're coming from consumer health. And, excuse me, and so we're like, what, what, we seems like we really have something here. And so with that, and that revenue kind of booked, but not, or, in the process of being booked and somewhat booked. Um, Was that one of those situations where, you know, in a lot of cases I, in the past, I look back and I've literally made a sale and then I have to figure out how the fuck I'm going to do it. Like, oh, it's you know, it, it, yeah, it's, yeah. All right. I mean, I mean the, the technology could pull data in, yeah. but it was designed to pull data into our system. It wasn't designed to be an API that someone else could connect to and then pull data into their system. Right. So, and then so, we had to figure out like, compliant like HIPAA compliance all that stuff right we hadn't done any of that work because in the wellness market um and the type of data that we're bringing in we didn't need it but once we're going to hospital systems they're kind of like well we don't care if you need it you still have to have it because we need you to have it right right? so so how long ago was that like that moment where you guys made this change that was 20 um that was probably early 2013 and so as, as the company kind of exists today, is that still the primary product or is there a lot of other things they do? Yeah, so Validic does two things now. So uh, off of that um, initial maybe dozen integrations when we launched, Validic has, I think, right around 450 data source integrations from oh, devices. Wow. And so the portfolio has expanded substantially and not just in terms of data sources. So, you know, we do things like activity trackers, but also pure, you know, FTA class two list of medical devices like blood pressure sure. and yep. scales and, you know, blood glucose meters and all that stuff. Um, so my dad has a, a defibrillator mm-hmm. built into his shoulder. Is that an example of a device that you collect data from? Um, so uh, the, the plan is to eventually do that kind of stuff. Um, but Validic is not today doing like implantables. Or, so it's more like the wearables mm-hmm. and things like that or just. Um, yeah. Wearables conjures up kind of like, <clears throat> excuse me, activity trackers. But I mean, 
I mean, I, I would say that Validic's focus today is much more on the clinical side. Of okay. the, the majority of customers and definitely the focus of the business is on, um, is on healthcare, not wellness. Right? So, so. so do you have a lot of customers now that create other forms of medical software that use you guys as a mm-hmm. platform to connect to this kind yep. of data? Yeah, like Cerner, Cerner is a customer of ours, for example. Um, okay. So we power um, you guys one are product just a, for them. And you guys have all the integrations, them. built all the pipelines to get all the data. Yes. So if I wanted to build so some software that needed connection to Fitbit and iPhones tracker and Androids tracker and this, whatever, instead of doing all that manually, I come to you and I have yeah. one one source to go get exactly right. all that yeah. data. Yeah, I mean, the way that it was before Validity came to market, and I love to tell you that we had this great insight about the market, but we didn't. Like customers, we just like, you know, we yeah. have a thing that we need. But it was kind of like building a phone line between your office and my office to make a call, right? Like neither of us wants to own telephone infrastructure. We just want to talk on the phone, right? Yeah. And in healthcare, it's the exact same way. They don't they don't want to own the infrastructure. To they don't want to build 400 integrations. Exactly. They Exactly right. Um, and there was a time... Uh, maybe like up until 2010 or so where um, the devices largely weren't connectable and the few devices that were connectable were, you know, they would, they would sell like J and J, for example, would sell a a software product that they'd sell to the hospital to pull the data in from the connected device. Um, Once, and when you're only talking about one or five devices, like that overhead's not that big, but, once there starts to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds on the market, the CIO at your your you know your local hospital systems like I just can't I can't keep up with this is not realistic yeah. at all. Um, and right at that inflection point, in walks Validic with like, hey, we have like the AT and T like a central system to connect all this data, and all you have to do is plug into it. Um, so it was like a complete no-brainer. Remains a complete no-brainer for device connectivity. So did you guys end up with uh, competitors that also do this? Um, we did early on. We had a few competitors. Um, they've largely gone away or pivoted to other things. Yeah. So you guys, um, the sort of become kind of the monopoly of, of the space, or that's a nasty I would, word. I would call it a de facto standard. Yeah. A de facto <laughs> standard. For the, for that's the space, great. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I mean yeah. To, to, I think that's largely true. Um, that's great. So I want to I want to hit the rewind button I, here. I just want to point out like all the niches, right? Like this yeah. is a niche business that yeah. nobody would ever think of that yeah. exists, and, and, and it's they're start, the leader. And and unless you need it, you don't even know it exists. And it started with something that wasn't this that what what it ended up being wasn't the original yeah. intention. Which yeah, you know, this is what I like here. It's okay. The first, I'm hearing a few things here. So you guys had to do. You know, the great chess players of the world are playing multiple advanced like moves ahead in their head. They're not thinking about their next move. They're thinking about four down the road. So you clearly had to do that at some point with predicting, like, how are we going to replace all these devices? And I think that what you were just explaining would be like, if I wanted to connect all these things, I'd have to have 400 pieces of hardware or something Mm -hmm. like that there in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And that's not practical. Right. So at some point you had to kind of look into the crystal ball and say, eventually these devices won't exist. Yep. Or they don't need to exist, mm-hmm. and, and you know that whole mentality of solving the problem. But so, what I'd like to, you know, and another thing that I that I think is really important for those listening is, Ryan, you keep focusing on the fact that you're solving the problem. Like you're very, you have the blinders on for that, and you're listening to what the market is telling you it wants. 
And that's the key ingredient. And you can spend so much money building stuff that you think is going to be great and loved before you even put it out there. But why not put it out there and see what the reaction is and make adjustments along the way? There's a little jumping and then building wings, too, which, you know, is my style. The the important part of the story, too, is you were listening to what other people were saying and the problems they were trying to solve, right? Yeah. You were being too idealistic of like, no, we're trying to do weight loss challenges and that's all we care about, yeah. right? Like yeah. you're, you're listening and looking for opportunity, looking mm-hmm. to solve problems. And that's what good entrepreneurs do. Well, I think, I think that, um, th- that's absolutely true. Um, I, I would actually, what I advise most entrepreneurs that I talk to is to not start by building anything, right? You don't need to build anything to, understand whether a customer wants to buy something, right? It's true. You need a bunch of slides. You need to go in and get the meetings and then go in and go in and talk to them and say, Hey, if we did this for you, would it solve a problem or not? Like, what do you think about it? Do you think it's any good or do you think it's not good? Right. And customers by and large, um, as long as you position it as like, look, I just want your honest feedback. I'm not trying to sell you anything. Um, I just want to hear your perspective. That works real well in enterprise sales. It, I, I don't know anything about con- selling to consumers. Right? I'm not a consumer guy, but for, for B2B sales, it works real well. And I agree. As long as you can get people to carve out their time, which is what you use your network for, is get introductions and get people to sit but, down for coffee. I mean, especially if you're reaching out to me and you're like, hey, Matt, I know you do a lot of stuff with content marketing. I'm working on some new tool for that that might help you. I'm trying to get some feedback. Okay, yeah. buy me a cup of coffee, whatever, I'll take the meeting. Take right? Especially if it's like of interest to me. Yeah. Sure. Whatever. I think it's just that seed planting mentality. You know, if you you know, when you go if you're a farmer, you throw a lot of seeds out, not all of them grow. No. Some of them grow faster and bigger than others, and some of them are a little placed in a little more fertile soil in the field, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you're not throwing seeds out there, I do the same thing. I mean, I talk to a lot of people. You don't you know, even if it's a young entrepreneur that wants to do something or has an idea, you never know who's going to be the next person. I right. mean, I, I, I always say you bet on the jockey or the horse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a jockey better. I, I like to people like some people get it and yeah. some people don't. And yeah. We see some of those folks come through here. So at some point, this business starts growing pretty fast. Now, at what point now, you have a you have a somewhat well-known investor that joined the fold at one point. Yeah. Can we so, talk about that. Yeah. So we um, so back in 2013, once we started to get traction, like I had said, we we had we were in the process of raising a round. And I don't know what we had raised of it. We had raised maybe. 250 or 400 or something like that. Right. And, this and that was, was like, prior to figuring out the true direction, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. And in fact, I had to call those investors and be like, I think we're going to pivot to this totally different concept. How did that go? Uh, um, uh, several of them were like, look, I really believed in the idea that you guys had and it seems really strong. And I don't know that you put enough effort into, you know, pushing it. And to them, I said, I hear that. And I don't necessarily disagree with you. But I do know that this is what customers are saying they want to buy. And they said, well, you know, we trust your judgment. So if that's what you're hearing, go ahead. You know, and um, how many different people was that? Was that just a couple or was that like 10? Uh, just a couple. Okay. Yeah. Most of them were like, you know, you guys are doing it day to day. Like, go ahead. If that's what you think is best. You know? So now you got to raise some real money. Yeah. So, so of that, so we had 250 raised of the, I, th- I think it was 400 or so, like it was a small seed round. And, um, 
And at that point, we had booked some deals. We had some revenue. Um, it was starting to take off. And I emailed Mark Cuban, who um, I got his email from another friend and whatever. Like, it's pretty easy to find his email if you try. Sure. <laughs> Um, if for people listening, you think that I will give it to you, if you email me cold, you're wrong. I will. So, <laughs> will you um, give it to if me? If I know will, you. Will I give it, will you give it to me if I ask you in person? Yeah, okay. I would. Yeah. If I, I know I you. Also, I, I also will not give it to you if you email me. So. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, I've, that's been tried a I'll lot. I'll give you so Matt Watson's wanna... email though. All day. <laughs> it's Watson at fullscale.io. Oh, that's right. We yeah. say that a lot, don't we? Okay. Yeah. So you're reaching out to Mark yeah, Cuban, so I, and, and I re- this is a cold intro. Yeah, it was completely cold. I just emailed them and said three three things like, "This is what we do. This is a problem. Here's our traction." And I included a deck. It was like ten slides, and it was within a couple hours later, um, he was like, "Well, I see you have 150 left on the round. Would you take 250?" And we're like, yeah. And sure. then all of a sudden, I'm like, every, you know, once you have a brand name investor, like every person that was otherwise on the fence jumps in. like, oh, is that, yeah. you know, better jump I, in. I like it. to say it's like so, herding cats when yeah. that happens. Like yeah, they're yeah. all like, you know, it's it's a weird thing. Yeah, but. yeah. Um, so you know what? I want to point something out. You you asked. That's it. That's where it starts, people. Like, if you want to sell something, you got to ask. Like, yeah. if you're trying to sell me something, ask me to buy it. If you yeah. want, like, tell me what you want, but try. Worst case yeah. scenario, they say no. Like, Deco, D-E-C-O at fullscale.io. Reach out. I have replied to everybody mm-hmm. that has replied, you know, and yeah. that's just it. Because at some point, someone was replying to me. Mm-hmm. And I feel that kind yeah. of like, I don't know, is that the pay it forward or pay it back or whatever it is. Yeah. But all right. So Mark Cuban reaches back out to you and he's one that he's like, hey, okay, take my quarter million, Ryan. Yeah. How so, did that feel? Oh, it felt great, man. <laughs> I mean, it was, I, I was surprised. I never expected to hear back from him at all. That was right? like when Shark Tank yeah. was newer too, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah. he, he had, he had built his name. Now I, I'm, I first became, I went to the Kelly school of business for a few years, which mm-hmm. is where Cuban went mm-hmm. at, at Indiana university. Mm-hmm. So he, I was familiar with him back in 2009 when I think he was still buying the Mavericks at that mm-hmm. point. What, he got rich on what, what wasn't it broadcast.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That was a good time to yeah. be starting startups when yeah. your domain alone could be sold for like <laughs> a zillion dollars. But yeah. okay, so you so here comes Cuban, and uh, I'm assuming at this point you know him on some level. He seems like a pretty smart guy. Yeah, um, and that brought some other other people. Along yeah, with so it. we're able to close that round. We closed it at like seven fifty, so it was way oversubscribed. And um, you know, the, the whole time, uh, like for a couple of years, both Drew and I had invested time into developing relationships with VCs. We're never really sure if we're going to take VC money, but um, but the company started to grow so fast, especially once Mark came in um, and we had more capital, but also, you know, it, the, the super helpful thing about having Mark Cuban involved was that for a lot of our customers, Early on, when we were a tiny company, like 10 people doing business with huge hospital systems, right? Like these are serious, serious contracts that we were negotiating. And, you know, the, invariably we got the quote, like I'd have to get on the phone. I was CEO at that time. I had to get on the phone with their CFO and he'd be like, he or she would be like, well, how do we know you're going to be around next year? You know? And so it's like, oh, but we have a billionaire backing us, you know, like we're good. <laughs> so that, that helped 
that helped um, that helped a lot. Just the brand recognition of his name helped sure. a lot in that those early phases. Um, but you know, we started to grow um, headcount a lot, and we started to grow revenue a lot. And, and at this point, where was this occurring? Uh, we were in Durham then. Okay, yeah. so you were all right. Yeah, some of our some of our earlier investors, our seed round investors, asked us to consolidate the team. It's spread out. And, and and for those not familiar with the Raleigh Durham area of North Carolina, I, I used to live in the Carolinas. It's referred to as the Research Triangle. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of medical stuff that goes on there. Tons, it's yeah. kind of it's a real hotbed for um, all all things medical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. medical and pharma both. Right, it's yeah. a good place to be. Yeah, yeah it was great. Yeah. Um, so you're and, building this company and how fast did that headcount start popping? Real fast. Yeah. And at that time, so I think, uh, I think it was once we got to be about 20 people where, you know, everyone was just, we're, we're hiring. We didn't have really like a, an executive team installed and we didn't have anybody doing HR. So we hired a VP of finance, um, and she kind of took over that HR function as well, but she was going crazy with trying to hire and, you know, bring and recruit and do all the finances. Cause that's not like our books are a complete mess, but I mean, up to that point, it was a two person company who kind of had a part-time CFO that would come in and help just keep the wheels on the wagon, but she had to set everything up. And so she was there about a month or six weeks before she said, look, this is, we got to hire somebody to lead HR, you know? So, you know, what's awesome about HR. That. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you're, yeah. you're full scales HR person. I've promoted you. And then we decided to start a business. The Philippines that hires a whole lot of people and we need HR. Yeah, yeah. we did. But that's, that's a necessary <laughs> component. Yeah, it's, it's, that's one of the things, you know, we've been dealing with, with our newest company full scale. It's like I was telling you before we um, hit record today was, you know, like kind of having to tap the brakes because, we could hire a hundred people right now and find stuff for them to do, but it would be a total shit show. It's right? crazy when you're hiring a couple people a week though. Like it's all, yeah. Yeah, even just a couple people a week can be a lot. Yeah. I mean, so really, yeah. We hired what 40 people and, and in like 60 in days, or something days. Like that, yeah. yeah. It was really short term. I need was, to hire some more. I told I know, you today. Yeah, I know. What do you think? Why do you think I look so tired? Yeah, I've been up. I now I just stay up all night working hard for you. I know. That's Thank you. Speech. I'll just keep giving you gummy bears all day. Every day. Um, so, yeah. So, what were some of the challenges? Like, you needed some HR stuff, but did some other things? Or was it a little wobbly on the, in a few places? I think because you're also building new technology at this point. You know how yeah. that goes. That's, yeah, that's yeah. not always a, a predictable economy. Yeah. Well, well our... Um, <laughs> I mean, at that time, our system was honestly kind of... Uh, it was never originally developed to scale to the level that we were closing deals, right? And so there was just a lot of clunky things in there. Um, and again, we we didn't. So Drew was CTO at that time, and I was CEO. So the two founders. Are you a non-technical founder? I'm non-technical. Yes, okay. I represent that yeah. that side of the, oh, okay. the that <laughs> side of the aisle here yeah. on the podcast. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, and Drew was doing everything he could to. You know, it's really hard when you're when you're headcount constrained because you can't hire fast enough. The technology needs to be completely rewritten, essentially, um, which I think ended up not being the case or whatever. But but um, a, a lot of it needed to be just recoded um, to be more scalable. 
And so trying to recode everything and refactor all the code and then um, also sign up new deals that are going onto the old platform, it took a long time to get out from under that. And the good thing is that the system worked, right? Like the technology did work. It was just really stressful for our side. Yep. The customer's experience was like golden, you know, and, and, um, you just got a lot of people behind the curtain that are yeah, sweating that are, and that, putting on yeah, bubble gum and exactly. duct tape and yeah, we're, it, whatever. And we're, and we're making it work. Worse, right? Put your <laughs> finger in here, make a sub leak and I'll be I back mean, that's, later. <laughs> I mean, yeah. let's be honest. That's the way all technology companies work behind right. the scenes. It's like being a cook. Nobody wants to know like what happens in the kitchen at a restaurant, or, or even like, how where the how the sauce is. Yeah, made. I mean, yeah. the backside of a software company. A lot of times, there's a lot of just yeah. shit that goes into just keeping the lights on and yeah. making it work. And yeah. that was our problem with Solutions when I was growing there. We were growing so fast. We had every issue, every issue from performance and scalability, and can it was just, we had all of it. It was just a nightmare. But you yeah. just work through it. Well, the just thing, keep putting on bubble gum and duct tape, and and the thing with it with a with <laughs> a startup, yeah. especially, is you know these things don't come with an owner's manual. People, like, no. every time you've done something, it's the first time you've ever done it, yeah. and then that doesn't mean just because you've now done it once that you're any good at it or you know what to it's do. It's different it every time, again. and that's why so many. That's why people that you know that start you know franchises like if you open a subway. That thing comes with an owner's manual and right. it comes with a team of people to answer yeah. your questions about what to do when the bread oven breaks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in, in any, you know, especially in a software business or whatever that, you know, it just, yeah, you get to figure it all yeah. out. And then hopefully you have that figured out before you've either run out of money or completed the like, mm-hmm. or you're now in a Lord of Flies situation. Yeah, so, yeah. so what's some of the advice? So this started growing pretty quickly for you. Um, Validic is still out there doing their thing. Now you've kind of moved on to some other things. So mm-hmm. looking back at stuff, what what's some advice you could give our listeners about getting started and then kind of following in a path that you that you've found? Yeah, so I think I have like a a nugget I think for each phase that I've been through. So so Validic is now has you know hundreds of customers and. Um, is a successful business. And I think they have just over 50 employees roughly now. Um, the, the company is much larger product wise than just, um, data delivery, although that's the primary business, but, um, kind of my, one of the last projects I did there before I left was, um, working with the product team to help, um, to help create a new product line, which just got released in March and is doing great. Um, and so we've expanded the business substantially. Um, for the earliest phase, I think we've the, I think the most important thing for entrepreneurs to do is focus on the customer's problem, not on the solution, right? Um, solutions, our job as entrepreneurs is to come up with a solution, right? Um, but in order to do that, we had to really deeply understand the problem that needs to be solved by the customer. And customers are a little bit, they don't always know. They don't always know how to articulate the problem. And so it takes time uh, to figure out, it takes time with them and asking a lot of questions and a curious mind to understand what problem they need to solve that they'll pay for. Um, so I think that's where most time should go during the earliest phase. From that, like a lot of the problems that entrepreneurs largely talk about, which is like, uh, bitching about fundraising, like there's no good investors around here that'll fund my idea. 
Well, <laughs> if you have a problem figured out and a solution and a couple letters of intent from customers that say, I'll buy this solution once you build it, the money follows from that. Yeah. There's actually a huge network of professional investors whose only job is to put money into those. That's ideas. what they're looking for. Yeah. So like check the boxes and do your work before you go ask for money. And maybe listen to what the crowd is telling you as well. If, if, yeah. if you're on your 200th person, that's like, yeah, I don't have any money for this. I mean, yeah. it, it might be you at that point. Yeah. 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 Um, for the growth phase, I think the, the biggest um, we're talking earlier that like there's um, there's a lot of information out there about how to go from like zero to one, you know, like get, get to a concept uh, and get that early concept funded. Um, what I found, and I think you guys agreed, was that <clears throat> once you get to growth phase where you have it figured out and now it's scaling up, there's very little information about that phase out there. And so developing a network of other entrepreneurs that are going through the same thing that are in, have the same phase of company as you, I found to be hugely impactful to our business. And then having at least one or maybe two experienced mentors that can really, like you can just talk over certain problems. Like I was a first time CEO, right? I was CEO of Lytic for seven years. And um, <clears throat> during that time, like, I mean, when I, I didn't know how to write a comp plan, like I didn't know how to figure out executive compensation and bonuses and things like how to structure the organization to be the most efficient or where there's obviously, like I didn't know any of that stuff, right? Um, I have a mentor, um, his name name is Mike Cope. He built a company um, back in the 70s that he took public and then ran as a public company for a long time, was a technology company. Um, and he's been invaluable for me just because I can call him up and be like either yelling in the phone like this fucking guy is being an asshole or whatever. Um, or I can be like, how should I solve this compensation problem? Or how should I look at like this employee is doing something I, I don't like or don't want them to do. I both want to empower them to be successful and do their thing, but I want him to do it within certain bounds. So like, how do I communicate to that, that to them? And I didn't know how to do any of that stuff then. Yeah, um, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in the knowledge transfer, Yeah, you know, the whole yeah. thing. And like, I actually try to mentor a couple early stage entrepreneurs. I've been doing that for a couple of years. I find it to be really rewarding. Uh -huh. um, and you know, that knowledge isn't yours to keep. Yeah. You, you're supposed someone gave it to you for free. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and, and usually it revolves around finding someone that believes in you, someone yeah, who says, yeah. you know what, I see this, this kid or whoever that has all this potential. And I hate the word potential because that means you haven't realized it yet. Right. right. You're, you're someone who could do something but hasn't yet. Yeah. So potential is a nasty word. Some people like to think of it as a compliment. I think of it more as like, shit, I got a lot of work to do. Nah. But yeah, I've had, a, I've, and I'm sure you have as well, Matt, like some people that, well, like when Laryl Holt came in and did the podcast. Yeah, like, absolutely. That was one of our earlier episodes. And I consider Laryl to be a mentor. You know, he built Carstar. Mm -hmm. um, they had 400 <laughs> units. They had 100 units after 18 months. But wow. you know, talking to him just always feels like a trip to the Oracle or like talking to Yoda or something. <laughs> You know, yeah, like yeah. both Matt and I, after he came by, we're like, man, I think I want to be like Laryl when I grow yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, but the, I think that those people are really important. And I and I found that the really good ones really do want to share the information. Mm -hmm. You just yeah. have to ask. Yeah. You have to say, look, like, I know you don't owe me anything here. Like, I just really could use some help. Would you answer five of my questions? Right. right. And uh, well, it's called the relationship building, right? right? Like, you don't start out 
with them being your mentor, you get to that point yes. through being proactive in the way you're saying. Yes. Like, yeah. But you got to ask. Yeah. You got to yeah, ask. You gotta I mean, ask. These, these people aren't going to just find you and say, you know what? I, I've been watching you and I feel that I really want to help you be awesome. Yeah, no, yeah. you literally have to almost be that kind of like hat in hand. Like, yeah. I need some help. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. But you know what? I think that most people that have found success, they've been in that in that seat and they kind of get it. I need some help. You need a lot of help, dude, but I'm not sure that we can get a mentor for that. <laughs> so, well, um, man, I think that those are some jewels. And, you know, I, I know that you've got some other things on the horizon, which we're not going to talk about here. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I, this, is, this is a really interesting story. I, I always love we love having people in here that have different kinds of success. And I think that. Um, first off, I'm still shocked at the number of people that say that they've listened to all episodes. This is number 49. Yeah. Which, by the way. You're talking to somebody in Manila. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I got, students were ta- listening to yeah, the show. Yeah, I got a, a message. Hello to Manila. I got a Hello, Manila. Yeah. And uh, um, DeSalle University. Um, yeah, I got a, uh, was talking to one of our listeners who actually suggested what will probably become episode 51. All right. But, yeah, they said that, you know, we should stop by Manila and speak to many students from, it was from a startup club. Okay. I just think it's cool that, um, you know, but if you're one of those people that listen to a lot of the episodes, like, you know, and we can tell from the listener counts, like some of the series, like our, how to start a startup series is, is popular, but, you know, make sure you check out the, the interviews that we do with people because the, you, you're going to start hearing an echo and it, with an echo, I mean, you're going to see that, People do the same things on the path to success. They often phrase it differently. They have some obvious different scenarios and situations that they deal with. This was the whole premise that I was trying to solve when I wrote Balance Me. And that's why we got, like, Lyrell was in that book. We had an Olympic gold medalist, a rock star, and a really well-known fashion person. And these are people that all had found success and they had, they were people I felt had well-balanced lives and they all had the same path. They all did the same thing. They all, that's where I, I coined my phrase, success demands payment in advance. I've yet to find a true success story where you weren't paying that up front. Yeah. You got it. You got to roll up your sleeves and you're probably going to live like shit for a little bit and you're going to be stressed. And yes, it's normal to wake up at three in the morning and say, oh my God, what have I done? You well, that, that's true even after you have success. Yes. Right? Yeah. And that doesn't yeah. go away. And that's, you, you kind of think like, oh, once I get to the next stage, my life's going to be, be so easier. much easier. And it's not. Just get a different no. set of problems. So in regards to Validic, did, did you guys end up selling the company or where, where did? Uh, no, the company hasn't been sold. Okay. Um, so it's an operating independent business. Um, uh, Drew stepped, I stepped out of the CEO role about two years ago and Drew stepped into the CEO or my co-founder, Drew. Um, and he's created a new, new vision for the company um, based on, you know, some of the work that I did at the, the last two years um, uh, and includes both uh, um, new product lines, but also a vision for where the, the, the data business can ultimately go. That's really, really exciting. Well, I think I think it's important to you know point out. A lot of people think that their goal is to sell the company. Right. But th- I mean, after somebody who did it, like. I'd rather still maybe own that company that does a hundred million a year in revenue. Like sure. Make a lot more money owning that than taking the money, investing it in the stock market. Like there's nothing wrong with creating a great yeah. business and owning it too. I, yeah. That's, so. that's been an interesting topic and you know, it doesn't always occur on the podcast, but 
Um, you know, you always referred to your exit event solutions as being anticlimactic. That's yeah, like a term that you use frequently. It's like, hey, it's cool. But then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, what, what do I do, I do now? now? I don't know. And, you know, you were younger too. You weren't even 30 then, right? No, I was 29 years old. You're getting old, bro. I am. Not as old as you. I know. You'll never be as old as me. <laughs> so no matter how hard you try, you will never be as old as me. So I'll always do that better than you. Um, well, Ryan, thanks for stopping by. And I want to do a follow up at some point on this because cool. yeah. I think your story is just almost a little too much to capture in one <laughs> in one short podcast. Yeah. So I think that there's some other things. And, uh, you know, you've, you, you're back in KC now, right? Mm-hmm. Well, welcome yep. back. We, we like it here. You live here now, right? So that's awesome. Yep. I live half time here. Because of a girl time. again? No, well, not exactly. Good <laughs> family situation. But yeah. I live half time here, half time in San Francisco. So okay. I'm back and forth each week. Oh, yeah. wow. Mm-hmm. So you have one place here that's probably like big and affordable and one place there that's not. Yep, we have, uh, <laughs> we have we have nine acres here, and we have uh, nine square foot, uh, nine square feet yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. All right. How many well, square meters is that? Nine, three. <laughs> You're an expert now at square meters. I am. And I'm, I, you know, everyone keeps telling me how easy the metric system <laughs> is and I find it to be really freaking confusing. Yeah. It's probably cause I don't learn it. Well, enough, but you'll figure it out while we keep trying to find a new office. Yeah. I'm going to do that. And to do, I know, I know we're going to, we have some of the same issues with uh, rapid growth. So anyway, um, if you get a chance, check out the startup hustle website, that's startup hustle.xyz. Join us on Facebook to, uh, participate in a chat. Um, where Matt Watson's willing to answer any and all of your questions. That's right. Regardless of the number of bullet points that you include Start a on puzzle there. chat. Um, if you're looking to build your own team or augment the one that you already have, check out what we do at fullscale.io. We help you build your team fast. Anyway, see you next time. See you see guys. Everybody. I'm out. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.